Welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I am joined by Jared. Jared and I met on TikTok over a year ago. He was one of my originals, was definitely conflicted about my content, I'll say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over the course of months, and I actually have a question for you, Jared, like, how did you get to a place where your mind changed about me and my content? How did I get to that place? Time, obviously. Time is a big factor in it. Time. Time is my biggest answer. And I know that's an easy answer, but really it took a, a long time for me to self-reflect on myself to get to a point to not make it just about my feelings and my experience and more about the overall big picture of infidelity and not only why it occurs, how it occurs, how everybody feels within it. But, you know, I was certainly triggered by a lot of your early content because it was fresh for me at the time as well. You say that it was early content. I think there's other labels we could ascribe to it, like immature, maybe. No, no. You know, I mean, when everything develops. I mean, I think this, this well, from what I've heard from you and what I can tell from your content and involving is that it has been a growth experience for you as well, not only to share your story, but to probably get reactions from people. I imagine my, some of my early trolling probably. I mean, I do remember one specific instance where I called you an affair apologist. Oh, I loved it. And then very quickly within, I think within probably 12 hours, it was like the other woman and the wife, comma, affair and apologist <laughs> on your username. So I was like... I'm like, oh, how dare she mock me? <laughs> That's so funny. Because and that was, and I got that. It was you. Yeah, I think I remember that day too, because there were a couple of you that were like, bitch, slow the fuck down. Shut Whenever, the fuck up. And then you. I don't like, think I ever quite said something like that, but maybe I'll have to. That's how I perceived it. Perception is everything. Oh, I'm sure. And that's sure, you know what, there's probably, there's clearly a lot of validity that. It's probably what was in my mind. I just didn't like put the words down for a second. Yeah, it's your old girl. Whoa, we're hurting here. Yeah, I had such a limited understanding of the betrayed side of the conversation, right? Like I was like 10 years removed from an experience that was like three months long. And then I started hearing your guys' stories and you're like, well, it's been seven years. And I'm like, what? It's like, whoa. Changes it changes the perspective a little bit. I imagine hearing from us and just hearing from other women that were in your shoes ten years ago. I mean, it's obviously after ten years, your perspective and your experiences have changed to mm -hmm. it. Not just any any better, any worse. Just with like I was saying earlier, before with time, the perspective change and the understanding changes, and the ability to not only empathize with others, listening and talking to some of the women in your community. I have a lot of empathy for some of them, how they feel. Some of them are very conflicted and it kind of makes me sad, honestly. And honestly helps me understand my situation a little more with my spouse. It's humbling, I guess. If any other word I can think of, it's humbling. I would say this entire experience has been me deep diving into the humility pool and being like, oh, this is what humility is. Yikes. It kind of sucks. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm not right we all like to be right mm -hmm. right humility is one of those things where you don't necessarily want to have humility it's like it's not an automatic oh i'm just gonna be humble about i think it's like a learned you know uh perspective i don't think it's anything necessarily many of us are raised with especially in, in society so i think we all learn it in different ways and i learned it through this experience for me so yeah it's i i, I to your message came to a point where I was better able to understand your perspective. I just absolutely loved it because you actually had some really good questions where like, I think most of the time I'm asking good questions on the internet, which is fun for me. And I think it's modeling the deep dive of discovery of self, I think. And so you had asked a question once on TikTok and it was about wives who have been sexually abused by their husbands and you were like I want to understand this because it like it was almost like a point for me the reason part of the reason why I highlighted your comment and I did it in a very triggering way was that I wanted to better understand it too because it, it's like 
at what point is it consensual between a wife and a husband and when is it not and how does it get to a place where it's not because I mean you would expect sex to exist inside of a marriage but sometimes it doesn't you you would think so you would think so that expectation that there's definitely boundaries to that expectation I mean this very specific instance that you're referring to I remember this I remember this and the reason why I was asking because you know I thought I beforehand I had a very clear understanding of what sexual assault was or the word. I don't know if I'm supposed to say the word or not, but what that really is. And we all grow up as men saying, okay, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. And crossing that boundary when after a no has been given is obviously not appropriate and not okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of content creators on TikTok that will espouse this idea that if you have sex with your husband willingly, even though you don't necessarily want to, that's a form of rape. And I'm like, I had a hard time wrapping my head around. I'm like, really? I'm, like, I'm not saying it's a great emotional, meaningful experience maybe for this person who's doing it, even though they feel like they're doing out of obligation. But I don't know if I would coin that necessarily. I don't think I would label it assault. as rape. I speak to women on the daily who have sex with their husbands and they don't really want to. And what they tell me, what they do is they mentally check out of their body. And I'm like, cool, you have a superpower skill. It's called disassociating, but you are also disrespecting yourself. And then I lead it into the conversation around like, do you really want to be using your body this way? Like there's a lot I think that is missing from the conversation and it's directed at the wrong people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, if you don't want to, you shouldn't have to and you shouldn't feel like you should have to out of obligation. That was one thing I always say in my situation that things were kind of funny is like, I'm not interested in your obligation. I'm interested in your desire. Oh, And without your desire, I'm not interested. You know, as, as crass as this may sound, I could pay for obligation. Who wants that? That's not what I'm interested in. I want desire. I want to be desired. So if you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the other women community. The other women community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. I remember my my sex life and my marriage got really good when a guy friend of mine came up to me and he goes, Hey, your husband doesn't want to fuck you. He wants a fuckable wife, a wife who actually wants to fuck. And then it all made sense to me. I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Like, he doesn't want to just have sex. Like, he wants to have sex with somebody who wants to have sex. We want to connect as well. You know, I mean, for us, it's connection. I'm, I don't, I mean, sex is sex. I, I've had plenty of uncommitted unromantic sex when I was younger prior to being married and, and it, it did the trick, right? The job got done, but it wasn't meaningful and I'm not interested in that. We want connection as well. And I don't, I can't speak for all men. I don't want to be too general, but for many of us men who aren't necessarily as, and I'm not putting myself in this boat either. I'm not saying I'm like, it's emotional master, but for those of us who aren't in touch with our emotional side, that is one of the main ways that we connect and we are vulnerable in that moment as well. And for it not to be desirable and meaningful, it, it takes a little bit of the sting out of it. And they, okay, gets done, but now what? You know, it's not, it's not the intent. It's really not the intent. Totally, totally. It's not the purpose of it either. No, no. I mean, well, no, I mean, if you want to talk about the actual intent, it's obviously to procreate. If you want to get into a biological level of that level, but you know, you know that is cool, but that, then that just goes to the obligation, which maybe, was a normal thing 50 years ago, mm-hmm. 100 years ago. Even if it's normal, though, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good, you know? Like, I do wonder, like, how many people in the past were limited by their understanding of, like, how they were to behave in the world and, like, who succumbed to that pressure, like, maybe had way more to offer the world or way more to experience in the world, you sure. know? Well, the only ones that did wrote 
books and novels than we know about them now. Everybody else went away to oblivion. I'm talking about women specifically. You know, I mean, the women we heard, the women we hear from the 18th century, 17th century that wrote books, we know them now, and they offered what they had to offer the world. I'm sure there was plenty more that could have offered more to the world. It just, you know, it was man's world then. Oh, I love it. I love it. God, I wish you were wearing your new sweatshirt. I really do. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know. Your daughter's wearing it. Your stand-up side. Yeah, my daughter's wearing it. I get it. I get she it. liked it. She likes, she's at that age where she likes oversized things. So she likes to swim in my clothes. That's great. Okay, so when you and I first started talking about doing an episode together, you and I had some interesting banter back and forth about unconditional love or like I had made some snarky comment like that sounds like a conditional love. And you said, is there such thing as unconditional love? And then we kind of knew where you and I could impact the world around us, I'll say. And it was by having an out loud conversation about unconditional love. And then yesterday, was it? You and I both had a video hit our FYP and you sent it to me and you were like, look at this. And I was like, dude, holy shit, we must be connected on another level because I had the same one cross my path and I thought, ooh, I should use this with Jared and be able to get the conversation rolling. So we are going to go ahead and share that piece that we both had connected on. It's a fucked up thing about life. Sometimes you meet people just to show them what true unconditional love is. And sometimes those people met you to show you not to be so naive with that true unconditional love. And regardless of how you look at it, it's a win-win situation for both parties. One person was shown what true love was and well, the other one was shown that everybody doesn't deserve it. That's a hard pill to swallow, man. For real. I, yeah, it still hits a little bit. The message is, is there unconditional love? I think there is unconditional love in certain instances, like perhaps for your children, things like that. But, you know, that may also be conditional. I know a big thing these days is children going no contact with their parents from toxic, you know, growing up toxic. That's maybe there isn't unconditional love, except maybe your young children, but. All of us conditional. If you're in a relationship with somebody who abuses you and you leave them, clearly there is conditions to that. And I think you can definitely taint the love by crossing those boundaries. And I used to think, I used to think differently. I used to think, I just, you know, I didn't really know what love really was at one point in my life. No clue. A lot of people kind of go, this love is a verb. I truly believe that. I mean, is a choice a verb? Is it an action? Give me some grammar. An action. A verb is an action. A verb is an action. So is a choice an action? Is a choice? Yeah, absolutely. I think a choice is an action. I think that love is a choice. Yeah, choice is definitely an action. It's an action within your mind. It's a action. If it's a physical action, that's one thing. I think making a choice is absolutely an action where you take the action to do something, whether it's in your head, whether it's physically, you, it is an action. It's absolutely an action. And love is definitely, there's a lot of different kinds of love. Lots of loves. I mean, that whole, I, I had this thing I talked to people about and it's a little quote. And it's like one of my isms that the first six months of any relationship is amazing. It's so much fun. It's awesome. And then it generally evolves into a routine. It revolves into this kind of where it's not as exciting anymore. So a partnership kind of make a break point at the nexus point well it's a nexus. well absolutely it, it, once you get past that excitement it's like a nexus point where you know destiny you know and, and choice comes together and opportunity and destiny comes together it's like all right this is this point where it's like it's either going to go or it's not going to go and if it goes then it evolves into more of a different kind of love and that's i think where you get into this where love is a verb with an action where you do things because you love people rather than having that spark and that fire. It's still there. It should be there at some level, but it, it's not there at the same intensity. 
I, I, I just don't think it can be. And so, yeah, love is definitely a verb, but definitely conditional. You know, I mean, if, if you do something for somebody and they don't appreciate it or it becomes taken for granted and it's obvious that it's taken for granted, you'll eventually stop doing that thing. And then you'll build resentment. And then that resentment turns into contempt. Tell me about resentment, please. Tell you about resentment. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, you, it's easy to build resentment for somebody. Resentment builds from a very clear lack of good communication and understanding intent. You know, you do something for somebody and, oh yeah. Let me give you a great example with my situation specifically. My wife used to write me these little notes, little, little notes, little things, just little things. And I thought they were cool and they were great. And I actually saved them all. I still have them all from 20 years ago. And I thought they were nice. And eventually they stopped. Mm -hmm. And they probably stopped probably because I just didn't show the proper appreciation of what she was actually doing with those little notes and with those little things that she used to do. And then they eventually stopped, most likely because she resented me for not appreciating them. And I took them for granted. And then she started doing it for her fair partner oh, fuck and that's when i was like that that hurt but it also was an experience that i learned oh wow she's doing the things that she used to do for me and now she's doing them for him which kind of brought me to this point like wow i really fucked up but it wasn't you that did it no but that's how i felt and thought in the moment like you took her for granted i absolutely took her for granted at first at first i thought it was my fault that oh I, you know I, I screwed up wow i really screwed up i've come to the understanding now that I just took her for granted. And, you know, it, it, it goes both ways. And she took me for granted as well. It, it, it's mutual. It has to be mutual to get to the place where you're at, where something's happening in the fair. But, uh, yeah. And that built, obviously, a lot of resentment built over time mm -hmm. to the point where she felt like she's, you know what? It's great. I'm going to do this because it makes me feel good. And I think I don't fault her for that. I think we are all similar in the respect that we all just want to feel good. And we all seek out things that make us feel good mm -hmm. and so in that respect i can understand the why and i've come to the place now where i know it's not about me the whole choice but i certainly contributed to the and i, and I take ownership of i contributed to the parts of the relationship that brought her to that place but i don't take responsibility for the choice this itself. reminds me of another thread that you and i went back and forth on and it was I said something about the investment. I said that like love or connection was built on the investment of attention and energy. And you were like, I can't argue with that. And I think that that speaks to what you and I, which I agree, like I think one of my favorite things about my parasocial relationship that has been built with you is that you and I actually come together a lot on general philosophies of love and life, I think. And so it's really interesting hearing you talk about it because it's like, when we talk like this, right, there's all of a sudden this like inferred need to take responsibility for a choice that isn't yours. But like, you're, all very, you're already very clear within yourself that like, I can acknowledge the lack of without taking responsibility for a choice that wasn't mine to make. And I just, I love that. Well, ultimately, you know, I've had a lot of opportunity for reflection of our relationship over the past 20 years, but it's the most, most particularly the last 10 or 15 years. And I think I told you about this last time. I love it was, it was during our conversation or our chat or text, excuse me. You know, and this, this is kind of cliche because it seems to be a very common statement, or at least the common idea is that we weren't arguing anymore. So I was like, cool, we're all good. We're in a place where we're just zooming and it's just things are just happening and all is well. And we're not arguing. But at the same time, in hindsight, we weren't really having the opposite either. We weren't having that passionate connection either. So it's like you focus on one thing and, oh, things are all good because we're not arguing. And then until something hits the wall, you're like, oh, well, we didn't have that either. And so I think a lot of, 
seems like a lot of men specifically kind of assume that because they're not arguing anymore, we're not arguing that things are all cool. And that's not necessarily true. That's generally when somebody gives up and checks out the whole quiet quitting concept, if you will. And so Claire's a bell now, clearly, obviously, after you see this in hindsight, and everything's hindsight in case 2020, obviously. So that contempt builds up, that resentment builds up. And I think we just kind of skip along thinking that, well, we're doing this. We have a child. We're obligated to do it. So we're just going to keep doing it. And like I said, and then just seek out external things that make us feel good. I mean, it very well may have never, if I never found out about the affair and she would eventually end it on its own or eventually probably anyway. Most likely, who knows? I can't predict the future at that point in the past. But Dude, I think we have infidelity statistics all fucking wrong. And I'm not saying that. I think it's quite pervasive. I think that like I've been reading so many stories about the length of affairs that occur where there was no discovery, right? Like I've met plenty of women where they have been in the affair until their affair partner died. And like. I feel like being able to determine longevity of an affair is so such an interesting thing to consider because I couldn't I couldn't last. Honestly, I had a unique perspective into that because I had specifically talked to the affair partner numerous times about it and got his perspective on the situation and where it was really at for him at least. I mean, obviously On the other side of the coin, it was real and potentially on his, it wasn't as emotionally valuable. Which really underscores the whole like the experience of a relationship is not the same for both people. No, not at all. And that's not to say that it's not real for one or the other, Mm -hmm. but understanding his perspective and talking to him and I, and I honestly believe him and his words to me because I mean, we, we did not have an adversarial conversation. It was actually a very, we, we sat and talked for two hours. And it was interesting to see his perspective and understanding the stressors in his life at the time that led him to make the choices that he made, that he actually seemed, at least, I don't know, he seemed to regret them at the time when he told me. And I don't know if that's because I caught him or not. I'll never know. But after his own self-reflection, that has he reported to me that, you know, it, it was not a good place in his life, and he was just looking for validation and what anybody else is looking for to feel good. So you spoke with the other man of your wife. Do you feel like he was more forthcoming with information than her? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He was like an open book to me. Wow. And I was an open book to him. I guess you could say we had a pretty vulnerable conversation between two men, which doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I have those conversations with my close friends and I've had for 30 plus years, but not really an essential stranger that I don't know who's connected to me for a reason that I don't necessarily enjoy. But when I said to him, I was like, well, who else do you have to talk to about it? I'm probably the best person to talk to about it because nobody else knows. And so, yeah, I was pretty forthcoming and I was very clear with him on my shortcomings and my failures and in, in the relationship itself and what now when this is still happen otherwise who knows i can't predict the future i can't i could speculate to the cows come home it may or may not have happened they still connected either way so who knows where that would have gone but you know i i do recognize my failure and my part in that and i would like to think and maybe this is my ego talking but i would like to think that i saved his marriage <laughs> I, don't, I know it's so ridiculous to say oh. Oh, I freaking um, love it. Arrogant. I love it. It's arrogant. It's right. No, I totally get it because there are. I'm not trying to say I single hand reaching this marriage. Just silly to say. That's absolutely arrogant to say. But well, and honestly, though, Jared, you have no idea what his marriage is like. You're not in it. It could be a fucking miserable existence, right? From his perception, he's probably like, Jared. Jared saved his marriage and mine. I didn't save mine necessarily, but maybe his. I mean, maybe I'm Superman. Yeah, but no, I have no idea what his marriage. He didn't disclose that to me. I didn't ask. That wasn't my business to ask. And his, if he didn't want to disclose it, but clearly, if things must not have been so grand, 
based on the choices and actions that he took. So I can only assume that things were not great at home. And who knows? I, I mean, I don't want to get too into details of, of, of everybody, but doing my due diligence and research, I have found that I understand maybe why things weren't great at his home. And after talking to people that know his wife. Which is a great segue, which is a great segue into, I would love to hear your thoughts on what creates opportunity for infidelity inside of a marriage. Well, I mean, clearly you have to find somebody you connect with. That's number one. And I know they say the number one source of affair partners is work. So obviously what creates that it's, you know, time and opportunity. Yeah. Timing and opportunity. The right opportunity for something to grow into from a friendship to a, to more, if you will. I have a unique perspective. I read all of their texts, so I know how it went down and it was just a friendship at first. And so had an opportunity, you know, they happened to work at the same place at the time that happened by just chance, happenstance. I mean, it's, I don't want to go into this, but yeah, they, they did well, so they did. I went through the whole rabbit hole of like, right? Like I had made a choice in my life that like I struggled immensely with guilt and shame over. And so I started to backtrack. And so at first I started to resent myself for ever choosing to work at one of my favorite employers. Like it was my first career. I was like, oh my God, I never should have done that. Where were my priorities? And then I started to resent like, my upbringing and I started to resent all of these things about myself that I really didn't need to go that far like it wasn't the problems were not in my upbringing they were not in my employer they were not you know it really was like I struggle to say problems within myself, but ultimately, I guess you could label it like that. But it was like this lack of awareness of who I was, who I wanted to be, and what options existed for me in the world. I think that when the affair happened, the entire paradigm that I operated my life on shifted because it was like going from childhood to adulthood. And it's really interesting for me to hear a lot of these stories about marriages making it to 20 years and then encountering infidelity because it was almost like a self-awakening, the encountering of infidelity for me. So it's really interesting. And I was like, I feel like what brought me to the point where I was like, okay, my happiness doesn't depend on a relationship. I'm actually free to go at any time. That was the moment that I felt like I was actually free to enjoy life. I definitely think this is an awakening experience for both of us. I think me a little more positive at the moment and positive in the respect that I have become a much better listener as a result. I have become more in tune with my emotions as a result and how those emotions and expressions of emotions affect others around me. It has made me far more stoic than I once was. I, I, I'm, I'm, I definitely wear my heart on the sleeve kind of guy. And I still am, but I've definitely learned to moderate that and understand how sometimes my knee-jerk reactions, and not just necessarily in relationships, but at work and other places in my life as well, how they affect other people. And uh, that's back to that humility thing again, you know? Sometimes you learn what an asshole you kind of are sometimes. It takes a gut punch like this to not only realize it, but to want to be better. Not only for myself, but for the world. I love that. I adore that. I think one of the things that I have really been able to understand post-infidelity is the ability to regulate myself rather than allowing the world to regulate me. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's one interesting byproduct of this entire. So it's been a little about over, a little over two years for me since this happened. And an interesting byproduct of that is I quit watching TV. I watch no TV anymore. Not even entertainment TV. I mean, I didn't, I, I quit watching news years ago, a long time ago, even before the political issues of the last decade. It was like 15 years ago I stopped watching news. But the last two years, I quit watching TV. I just found it to be a huge waste of time. 
And honestly, I, I guess you could say I unplugged from the matrix, if you will. I don't know how you want to put it, but I have lost complete interest in TV. And so to me, that was an interesting result. How much time were you spending watching television prior to unplugging? That was our thing. That was our thing. We would watch TV in the evenings until we went to bed. And then in the evening, not like all day throughout the day, but in the evenings, that was like one of our things that we did together. And that's one thing that stopped. And something she actually mentioned too, is like, you, you don't do the same things anymore. You don't, you're not interested in the same things anymore, which is true. Uh, it changed me. She stopped writing cards. She stopped writing you notes and you stopped watching TV. No, right. You stopped a long time ago. Oh. Long, long time ago. Long time ago. Year hit over a decade ago. Wow. Probably even more than that. I, I just never noticed. I just didn't really think anything of it. And when I, well, like when I was telling you, when I saw the little notes to the FBI partner, um, and I was like, well, like I said, she started doing the things for him that she used to do for me when we were younger. And so that, for me, that was really the big, I was the big, oh, wow moment, the, the, the wow factor, if you will. When I start seeing those behaviors and actions that she once used to do for me, for him, that was the gut. That was the moment of like clarity. I'm like, oh, wow. Wow. You know what I love about this particular story is that it's so important to allow your partner to love you in the ways that are important to them in loving you. And I did not understand that for a really long time. For a really long time, I would be like, I really want flowers purchased for me every single week. Like this was a huge thing in, inside of me that like gave Stan very little visibility into. But when I did, his reaction was always like, fuck that. I don't want to buy you flowers. And I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, so I want you to buy me flowers. You don't want to buy me flowers, but you don't care if I spend money on flowers. And he's like, exactly. And I'm like, hmm, okay, like. Is it the flowers or the act of the flowers? So then I started thinking about it and I was like, what is it about me being so specific about how he loves me? And so I started to think about it and I was like, is it that like he doesn't demonstrate spending money or doing an action where he is thoughtfully thinking of me because ultimately that's what a gift is, right? And then I started to think about it and he does that all the time. And then I started to like learn how to appreciate him in his present state and as he is. I started to realize how much I wanted to change my partner for my own benefit instead of being able to look at him and accept him for who he is and continue loving him in the ways that I like to love him. Like I am the thoughtful gift girl. When we first got together, he had this article in the University of Alabama magazine and I printed that shit out and I went and I had it matted. Did I have him pay for it? Yes, I did. But I thought of it. And it's the thought that counts. And it, it just like so is tell me so am i am i hearing that it's the act of getting doing something for you that you wanted or is it the actual flowers itself it was i wanted to have flowers i wanted to have flowers yeah it didn't really matter to me whether it's almost like i wanted something but i wanted him to be the one to give it to me it's the gesture mm, yeah you wanted the gesture of of affection and the thought of you. And I'm, just, I'm asking if that's what I'm hearing is like you wanted him to, it wasn't about the flowers. No, it was, it was definitely about the flowers. Cause then once I like, it was about the flowers. It definitely was about having flowers because then I started to think about it and I was like, who is flowers important to like in this situation? And I was like, and why are the flowers important to me? And then once I started to peel back those layers, I was like, oh, who told me that a man giving flowers to a girl is the only gesture that can like arrive at love that I want to receive? The rom-coms, duh. And my dad. 
right? Like I was, I was hoping that my husband was going to love me like my dad loved uh, the other women in his life. And that was like a real shocker for me because I was like, where did this that come just came from? Full circle. Yeah. Sorry. I do this a lot inside of me. No, no. I was kind of wondering where I can't remember because it's not about the book. And it just came full circle when you said mm-hmm. that, that. That's what your dad did for his, what I'm presuming to be the women he had affairs with. No, he only had one affair and he married her. Like that's where that's also in my own story of origin and like how it translated. I'm like, I'm just leading his life. But then I quickly figured out. I was like, oh, no, I'm not at all. Well, tell me this. Are you getting flowers now? I we just moved. But what I did was I bought into a subscription service in my local area. And every week I would get a local bouquet delivered on my doorstep. And ultimately, like the experience that I really wanted was arranging flowers inside of a vase. Like that's that was the experience for me. Like you said, I think it's important to allow those to love us the way that they love us. But I also think it's important to listen to how others want to be loved as well. Finding a middle ground in there. I mean, are you going to get everything you want from one person? No, of course not. Of course not. How nice would that be? But it doesn't exist. So that's a lot of responsibility for somebody to carry. Oh, it is. It is. But I, I think that's the that's part of the intentional efforts we make to make a relationship function and work. The intentional efforts, right? You know, I think we had this conversation last time is that I know you hate this when people say you guys worked out. Fucking hate it. I know you do. I know you do. And I remember I'm like, let me clarify what work out means. And I think what I said, something along the lines of that, what working out means is that both people in the relationship make the intentional, deliberate efforts to make the relationship work. It doesn't just happen by chance. And I don't care if it's your first marriage, second marriage, 10th marriage, affair partner, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter if both people aren't putting the effort out. Like flowers without the water, they're going to work. But you said it doesn't happen by chance. I felt like one of the things that I get tripped up on is I met Stan by chance. That was an opportunity by chance. But I'm talking about after that. I meet lots of people every day. I mean, it's crazy as it sounds. I feel like I've met plenty of women over the last, over my lifetime that I could absolutely be in relationships with. So what? Right? I mean, it's like, okay, you can meet people, but... You still have to make it work. You still have to put the efforts out. And like we were talking about earlier, that first six months is always amazing. But once that fizzles out and evolves. Hold on. Yeah. Let me understand this. You can see yourself in relationships and romantic relationships with other people. Sure. Interesting. I mean, I absolutely could. Well, and I, I think I had, I think we talked about this on text one time is that, you know, my dad had a bunch of isms. And one of them was that any two intelligent people can make a marriage work. If you want to make it work, sure. I could absolutely, you know, if things don't work out in my marriage, I move on. I can absolutely be with somebody else. It's not a problem. That's not a problem. I mean, and I've met people that I have connected with that I'm like, oh yeah, this, you know, I really like this person. And I could, I could see myself in this person, but that's as far as it goes in my mind, because I have the boundary that I'm married and I don't allow it to go forward because it, I, it cannot, it will not. I've never given myself the opportunity to imagine what it would be like to be married to somebody else until I met Stan. And I've never, I don't think I've ever crossed anybody's path. This is what I find unique and weird about me. And it's not that I would never be married to anybody else, like should death or divorce arrive on my doorstep in the future. But I actually... I don't know. I don't know somebody well enough. Well, you don't now. I mean, when I say that, I I have met numerous, for instance, coworkers, right? There have been coworkers I've connected with in the past that I would, you know, that were buddies and friends and close. And generally, it eventually evolves into, well, familiarity breeds contempt. So it eventually falls into a past this romanticized fantasy phase and then evolves into a either work friendship or it just fizzles out and not even in the romantic sense i work in a very woman dominated field so i've met plenty of women over the years and i'm like oh, i really you know, I, thought I had a connection with and and i thought in my head okay this is somebody that i could be with even if it's only a fleeting thought it just 
you have to make that choice to either act on something like that or not. And that takes two as well. Yes, it do. Yes, it do. It does take so, two. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's plenty of opportunity for connections everywhere, anytime, any place. It's just allowing yourself to be open for that connection, I think, is the, what the difference That's is. That's so interesting. Yeah, I do agree that it is the allowance of connection, which like I felt was the thing that I was most guilty of. And I must tell you, Jared, Stan and I hated each other in the beginning. Absolutely hated each other. Interesting. Oh, that's even interesting. We hated each other. I thought that he was arrogant. And I'm about to describe myself here, people. I thought that he was arrogant, self-important, way too loud. And thought way too much of himself and his opinion was too big. And then like all of those things were so alluring. So alluring. I was like, you're so fucking. Oh, yeah. It was like this powerful like vibe that he carried with him, which now I can look back and I was like, oh, part of me falling in love with you was that I envied a lot of these traits that you had. But the allowance thing, back to the allowance thing, that was <laughs> mostly what I felt guilty about. I mostly felt guilty that I had allowed myself to fall in love with somebody. I had allowed a connection. But at that point in my life, like I didn't even – I had no idea how I could like turn it on and turn it off type thing. You know, like I had no understanding of what boundaries were. How old were you at the time? 24. Uh, 24. I didn't know shit. I still feel like that way sometimes at 45 still. Mm -hmm. I don't know shit. I guess one I thing I forward to it. Right? I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I used, let me tell you, in about a decade, you still won't know anything. <laughs> and same here. Probably, I think in a decade either. But... Granted, I think that might be the difference in the sexes as well as how we view things and how we experience things. I can experience an emotion, like a connection with somebody, and I can just compartmentalize it, put it in a little box, and eventually throw it away when it doesn't have any use for me anymore. I don't know if that's necessarily the same experience for many women. I think that seems to be a common thing for men. I think uh, that men... This is what I understand. I think that I was modeled compartmentalization when I was younger. And I definitely duplicated it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is how you get through emotions. And then as I progressed in my own understanding of the world, I was like, I don't, I actually need to like process shit. Like I have to like really get into it and go through it in order to let it go. But the compartmentalization, so I do have a question for you that just came to mind. And do you think that... And you haven't had the experience of an affair. So I'm very interested in hearing what your thoughts are. Do you think that men tend to compartmentalize and then one day they are their paths cross with a woman who can almost convince? I, I struggle with the word convince because that means that the kind of revokes the power from a man, but is almost alluring enough for him to come to her and start to process differently. Possibly. Maybe for some. I think generally a woman, and like you say, not necessarily convincing a man, but eliciting a response from a man based on connection. Just a little nicer way to say the convincing. I mean, I definitely think the man will certainly consider it, think about it, process it in his own way, but I well, if we're talking about a married man, I think, especially a married man with a family, I think the obligation, not only the social obligation, but the internal feelings of duty and family will generally take precedent over any emotional connection he has with somebody else, simply because that's how we're wired. Interesting. That's why I, I, I believe, I feel that's why a lot of men don't leave their wives from their affair partners. Yeah. That's just the way they don't. I can tell you that's the reason for me, at least in the beginning of why I just didn't leave my marriage out of the obligation of my family and not necessarily the marriage itself, but the obligation to provide and be a father and be involved and the thought of not being involved or being shut out or even only being partially involved doesn't feel good at all. Did it feel like your purpose was being revoked? I felt like I was being replaced. From the moment my daughter was born, 
saw her come out the whole nine yards, which is a very intense experience. Uh, at least for a man, I know it's obviously much different. Women. I mean, I, I will never understand the perspective of a woman, obviously, in this situation. But for a man, or at least for me, that was a very intense experience. And the moment she came out, it was a, an overwhelming feeling of obligation and duty that I had to this infant, at least for the next 18 years, probably for the rest of her life. And so that overrides a lot of decision-making that I make in general, or it is the basis of choices of a lot of choices that I make day to day. Is that good or bad? I don't know, but that's my motivation. One of the things that I have learned in watching my own father grieve a child is the ultimate responsibility for a parent to model to his child how to get past the most unexpected and difficult experiences in life. And I think for a really long time, and probably his identity is definitely inside of a uh, husband and, and father. And so any time that I watched him pursue his happiness, it was always about those two roles. And that was where he found his enjoyment. And I always wondered, like, if there was, like, a little bit more he could do for himself as an individual that would, you know. There's a lot of pride in providing. There's a lot of pride in being a father. There's a lot of pride in being that person. And that feels good, even at the detriment of our own internal happiness at some point, at some level. I guess you have to weigh, I mean, what is happy? Weigh, you know, what? Is happy feeling good? And what's feeling good? If being a provider feels good, is that not happy? Yeah. Yeah. Which all comes down I, like your own value. Maybe not for all. Sure. Sure. I, I, I think we as men and women value different things. And we, I value the commitment. Yeah. But at some point, you do have to decide as whether that commitment is not only mutual, but beneficial for all involved. Oh, talk to me about that. How do you ah. get to a place where you can decide to... I'm still figuring that out. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, it's day by day. I, mean, I, can, I can always speak from the betrayed standpoint. It's that you still have those feelings of obligation and commitment, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you reconcile that with the destruction of the image of the relationship you once had? So am I, am I holding on to the commitment to something that doesn't exist anymore? And these are the questions I ask myself of how I'm still processing. You stoic. You keep going. Is that, <laughs> is how long do I keep this up for? How long do I wait for her to come around? How long? And, you know, the answer to some of these questions for myself is knowing who I am and how I know myself that once I disconnect, whether this is healthy or not. Once I disconnect, I disconnect forever. That's it. I know that about myself. And so I don't want to have a conversation five years from now of her trying to get closure mm -hmm. or reconciliation within herself mm -hmm. because that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. It happens now or it never happens. And I don't feel I owe that to her five years down the road, 10 years down the road. She owes it to herself, but she doesn't know it to my, I don't know it to her. And so my obligation and pride and, and ego and all that aside of the commitment. What I just, I just said, maybe this is contradictory and, and, and hypocritical, but does that outweigh making the decision to cut and be done? I don't know. It's a hard reconciliation within myself to figure out, am I just a fool waiting for something that's never going to come? And several people have told me that I am. So I really fucking hate that. So I'm just going to step in really quick at Coach Chelsea really quick. I fucking hate whenever you are working to make a very personal decision, thinking about yourself in a way that like, because you have, you've made this decision every single day, Jared, like sure. marriage still exists in this moment. It does. And to does. consider your past self foolish because you were careful with your decision I think it's crazy. So I don't think it's foolish. Like I said, these are just questions I ask myself. I'm not saying I'm a fool. 
good. But am I foolish? I don't know. I don't, I'm not answering that as I'm absolutely a fool, but am I a fool? And I asked myself that. And you know what? I don't think I'm a fool. I mean, if I, if I sit and consider it, if anything, it has been a very, very complex and well-rounded experience in the respect that I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about relationships, boundaries, and what goes into a relationship. And not only that, we were talking about before we started recording is that it has vastly improved my relationship with my daughter. A thousand times fold. And the awakening I had for myself was not only is my time with her finite, but this is the time. This is the time that I have. And I, for myself, took that a lot for granted because I was so work focused and not focused and on the family and the relationship that I missed out on a lot of that early time with her because I was too selfish in within myself and doing my own things. And that woke me up to that and realizing what was important for me, which was my relationship with her. What was important for me. Ooh, I'm going to underscore that. Also, I think that, and I know I got to wrap this up because I'm already stealing way too much of your time, but as somebody who did make the decision to end a marriage after infidelity, mm-hmm. I think one of the difficult pieces was acknowledging all of the promises that a younger version of myself had made to myself. And being able to grieve that was really, really difficult because it almost felt like a who am I really? And once I like started to really take the time to reflect What I did start to do was have compassion for the person I was then. And it it really was like this self-reckoning thing that I keep saying on the podcast. But all of those promises that I had made to myself when I was a little girl, like, I'm never going to get a divorce. I'm never going to be my parents. I'm never going to – like, all these never, never, never. And how – restrictive that those promises were to who I was intended to become. And I think that once I realized that, it felt it felt so much easier to come to peace with the decision. And I just love that you're a careful considerer because I was not careful. I was very much like a, this is happening. I'm doing it. Goodbye. I did not. Yeah. I wasn't going to take anybody's, That's usually me. I wasn't going to take anybody's influence into my decision. I wanted it to be the decision that I made on my own. Absolutely. I have chosen to work this try and work this out for now, and I do that because I want to. I have chosen to want to. And there may be a point when I decide not to want to anymore, and that'll be okay. That will be fine if that decision is made and that's where it comes to. And I've come to the point where now I've accepted that and it's okay if that's the deal. It's just not what I want right now. And it, I may feel differently sooner than later. Yeah. I don't know. One day at a time. I want to close this up with, you know, we've touched on unconditional love. We've touched mm-hmm. on, which like, honestly, I don't think we even touched on what creates opportunity for a marriage, but I think you did do an excellent job with it because- you actually started to talk about... I ramble on enough. What? I ramble on enough to get there. You did. It was funny, though, because the question was, how does, it, how does the opportunity for infidelity manifest itself inside of a marriage? And you went straight to how affair partners find each other. And it was interesting, but we also talked at length about resentment in a marriage. And like the lack of receiving love and all of that. So I feel good about that. And then, okay, so we touched on unconditional love. We touched on opportunity for infidelity in marriage. And we have touched on the decision to divorce or reconcile after infidelity. Are there any final thoughts or questions that you have that you would like to kind of openly discuss with me on the podcast for our listeners before we close up? Questions not per se, and I'll probably have a thousand out of you in about an hour now after we're done. <laughs> Write but, me an um, email. I, I definitely will. I definitely will. Some self-reflection and some, uh, maybe we could have done this. Maybe we could have done that. I love it. Um, honestly, comments as far as, I know a lot of people, and my wife included, uh, and she's told me this, I carry a lot of guilt, a lot of shame for choices. 
don't beat yourself up too much. And that's everybody out there. Don't beat yourself up for having the affair. Don't beat yourself up for staying after the affair. Don't beat yourself up if you're doing the best you can. Although eventually, and even for myself, you do have to make a decision to be not be indecisive and move forward, however that looks for you. And for those who are in an affair, I'm sorry. I know it hurts and you're probably really conflicted right now, but the sooner you make a decision to do whatever you're going to do, the probably the better you're going to feel. Mm-hmm. I imagine indecisiveness sucks. It really sucks. And like I was telling you earlier, talking to some of the women in your community, knowing their motivations that they can't leave their affairs just the same way I can't leave my marriage. And so I can empathize with that and understand that uh, your day will come. Your day will come. Oh, please get your discovery plans in order, people. Your day will come. (laughs) But you know what? It will come. You said- Not discovery plans. I'm saying, yeah, not discovery the affair, but- your day will come. Well, you're you're either going to have this quote unquote come to Jesus moment where you're going to decide this just just can't go anymore. I think that the fastest way to end the turmoil is with Discovery Day, though. Like I think that like once I'll be honest let, with you, yeah. Once you let somebody in on your inner reality, I think things get a little bit lighter, a little bit easier, a little bit more accessible to understand. And I think ultimately that's why I'm like get your discovery plans in order, people, because I think that the people who are listening to this podcast. They are not the people who are interested in being inside of an affair. They are interested in seeing that the affair at some point ends. But you said something else that really triggered a thought. Oh, I talked to a woman on a coaching call the other day, and she, her and her husband had made the choice to reconcile the marriage like 10 years ago or something after an infidelity episode, right? Ever since then... He has had her in his phone as you can't turn a whore into a wife. He had that in his phone? And she sees it every single day. As like an exercise, like I'm going to read this every day to remind myself or? I think it's a manifestation of anger that he hasn't processed, to be honest. But I, there are so many women who encounter infidelity, feel that their only decision is to reconcile the marriage, force the relationship to work. And then they stay and then another episode of infidelity shows up and it's just like, you know, like I'll bet both partners would be better off if they just let each other go. In that situation, probably so. In many situations, probably. Not in every situation. I definitely don't think every situation. Not every situation. Everything is nuanced. Everything is unique. Yeah. But no, you're right. Discovery will happen. I discovered it. I absolutely discovered it and I discovered it by watching her actions and her responses to me. And so, I mean, a lot of these people out there are in affairs. Your spouse probably knows, or they probably have a suspicion. They probably do. At some level, you can feel it. You can feel it. Your intuition starts to speak to you. I'll be honest, it's probably better to kill it than to have it discovered because you don't know what people's reactions are. That's the whole reason why I confronted the affair partner simply was just to end it before I lost my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a tough spot to be in on either side. And I guess as cliche as this sounds, if you're in the affair and you're still married and you're unhappy and you're stressing yourself out over hiding and doing all this stuff, are you living your authentic self? Are you really happy? I don't know. I love it. I, I love know. it. Jared, I always knew that you and I could make music together and not like actual music, podcast music or something. I really, I really do just want to take a moment to thank you for your support for the past year and a half, I think it's been. And also, I think that you come to the conversation with a wealth of value and knowledge and like genuine desire to see people pursue their own direction. And I just want to say thank you from everybody because I know that you haven't just communicated with me inside the community. There are a lot of people who have talked about how helpful you have been to them. So thank oh, you for that. That was very kind of them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
It's always an interesting experience. Always an opportunity for growth and learning. Yeah, this should be good. Yeah. It should be interesting. And I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandthewife.com slash coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today. Thank you again for your support and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.